Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm really excited to have back on the pod. It is Mr. Matt Harmon of Yahoo. Matt, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. It's been a little bit. Yeah, Paul, it's good to be talking to you again. I feel like it's been a, a couple drafts now since we've sat down and chatted, but I'm I'm really looking forward to uh to kicking it around tonight. This is this is kind of uh, as we were saying before we got started. This is like the quote unquote dead time of the NFL, or at least you know, teams will wrap up OTAs and mini camps here in the next couple of days, and then we'll go on a little bit of a you know. This is when the coaches start to take their vacation too. This is when I'm looking forward to taking a vacation here in a couple of weeks, but nevertheless. Still so much to discuss. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, the NFL draft was late April, and now here we are in early June, and I still feel like there's so much trying to break down and make sense of what happened on draft weekend. And, you know, when it comes to the wide receiver position, I think this draft class is as unique as I've seen in quite some time because, you know, I know on in recent episodes here at Saturday to Sunday, I've talked to people like Mike Clay, and I've talked to people like Matt Williamson and Matt Waldman, and the list goes on and on and there's no consensus with these wide receivers it's like kind of like pick what most intrigues you pick the landing spot that you kind of get excited about the most just general overview your thoughts on what this wide receiver class was you know when you when you watch these guys a little bit I know you're not doing the reception perception for the collegiate guys anymore but did you have any basically concepts and and ideas about this class and trying to make sense of it before the draft and now even post-draft. Well, I almost don't know what we're doing anymore with like wide receiver rookie analysis because, and and I'll explain what that means because I don't mean to get like uh, totally (laughs) nihilistic here before we even get started. But, you know, 
I feel like every year we hear, oh, this is since basically since 2015, which was the follow up, of course, to the great 2014 class. We still had, what was it, four or five guys went in the first round in 2015? You know, the, the Cooper, Kevin White, um, Brashad Perry. And there was a ton of guys that year that went in that first round. Um, but, you know, ever since then, I feel like every year it's been, ah, oh, this is a weaker wide receiver class. This this class doesn't really stack up um, in terms of, you know, a positional strength. However, I think the last three years, 2016, 2017, and, this, and 2018, and even 2019, we've had a group of guys that, you know, could really be could could really be strong complementary and contributing wide receivers, you know, really good twos and threes. I don't know what we're really looking for in terms of a strong wide receiver class. You know, if there's a lot of potential number ones, I just don't know that. I don't know that offenses are really running that way either. The farther we get into this thing, you know, I don't know that most teams are really building a passing game around an alpha anymore. There certainly are some that do, but you know, the AJ Green, Julio Jones prospects are very rare. Um, even in that great 2014 year, I don't think a lot of people expected a ton of alphas to emerge, and, and some have, and some have also just been contributing players. So I think for the most part, it was deemed as kind of perhaps maybe by some a weaker wide receiver class, but there were still a lot of guys in there that I really liked in terms of um, rookies and you know guys that were going to land in solid spots, and, and some have been elevated after the draft some have been um depressed in terms of value in rookie drafts after after the actual nfl draft process but yeah to me i thought this was a class that really had a lot of strong high-end contributors that you know could go in and fill very specific roles and that to me i think is the key is you know what role are these guys going to play and does that line up with their strengths yeah, and I mean, I feel like last year when people were getting ready for the draft, they were like, wait till next year. Next year is going to be the return of the big guys, the guys that maybe are more of those traditional guys we're looking for. And then this year came and there was some buzz about certain guys, you know, but it just seems like the NFL and draft Twitter and fantasy Twitter, it just seems like at times, in, especially in the wide receivers, there tends to be a little bit of a disconnect. And a guy like Hakeem Butler this year is it was probably the perfect example of, you know, he was mm-hmm. all over the board. Some people absolutely loved him and thought he was a top 15, top 20 type pick. Other people thought, you know, day, early day two. Some people thought, you know, late, you know, round three. And then the NFL says, well, we think, you know, early round four. And it's, it just seems to be, like you said, I think the NFL is breaking away from a little bit of the old, the, the old mindset. I think they're looking for certain guys to kind of fit into what they have on their, their roster already to play that role that you talked about, like a, a complementary role, like a role that maybe they're missing to complement who, what two wide receivers or what stable wide receivers they already have on their roster. And I think that's why when you look at this class, there really is a little bit of everything. They have some of those bigger, taller guys. They have some of the smaller, quicker guys, you know, and then, you know, you have some of those physical tough guys, you know, who win at the catch point. And I guess we'll just start there. It, was there a couple guys who, when you watch some film on these guys that you were most intrigued with, or, or even post-draft now based on landing spots, have you most intrigued? Because, you know, some people are rolling on Nikhil Harry. Other people still have separation, you know, concerns and separation quickness and route running worries about it. Are, is Harry a guy that stands out to you or not above the rest? Harry is interesting because I really thought, you know, he reminded me so much of the Juju Smith-Schuster evaluation coming into that 2017 class, which was, you know, he was a guy that by 
any sort of objective production metric uh, evaluation system, you know, really cleared the bar, especially if you adjusted for age, you know, how long he did it in college. And it's just really tough to, this is something I feel like I've learned since Juju came out. And, you know, since I was doing, doing more reception perception work with prospects, like, it's hard to say that a guy that is that productive for that long at such a young age in college is going to be an abject failure at the NFL level. However, I think that with Juju, you looked at him in college as a guy who played mostly outside and was a bigger physical receiver, but he's not played that role at the NFL level. I mean, everybody knows he's played mostly inside, been a complimentary receiver to an, to one of the true few alphas that are actually out there, which is Antonio Brown. I think there's a lot of questions about. I think it's worth asking, you know, how does how does Juju's role change coming into this year? And that's a larger discussion to have. But Nikhil Harry reminded me of that guy that needs to play in that type of role too. Um, I I do think that yeah, there are there are certainly separation concerns, but you can get around separation concerns in the at the NFL level by you know where you deploy these guys, where you where you line them up. I mean, we've seen several receivers to to go in with reception perception data, you know, at the NFL level, the guys like Juju Smith-Schuster still have separation concerns. You know, uh, DJ Moore, I think, is a player who has separation concerns. Um, you can look at some other players. Too. Brandon Cooks, I think, at times has had separation concerns, but the way these players are used, the way they're deployed, the way that they line up pre-snap dictates so much of how much that's going to matter or not. And I think that Nikhil Harry, for me, was coming into the draft, okay, I want to see him land in a spot that's going to correctly evaluate that issue and then deploy him as such. And I think that even though the Patriots have made their mistakes with wide receiver evaluations, I trust that coaching staff enough. I trust what's going on there in New England enough for them to probably find a good role for him to play in. So, I mean, I think he is definitely the top rookie in terms of dynasty rankings. Um, and I think that he is a guy who, who, who landed in a spot that I felt much more comfortable about the concerns and what that might mean for his future based on where he landed. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating to see what New England plans to do with him in terms of utilization. Do they use him at times, you know, inside? Do they use him almost detached at times like a move tight end in a variety of ways? Because, you know, over the years, Tom Brady really never has been the type of quarterback besides like if he was targeting Gronkowski or, you know, Moss, two of the all-time greats, to ever really throw the ball up and just say, go get it. Like that's never really been Brady in terms of, you know, what he does with his receivers or any of his offensive weapons, which at times in college, Nikhil Harry was able to do that just based on his physicality uh, and ability just to dominate at times in in the Pac-12. So it's going to be interesting to see what they kind of do and and deploy Harry. I think it'll be very interesting next year after a year of data, you know, when you put out reception perception to kind of see where Harry is most utilized at the NFL level and where he's where he's most successful because I think I think he could be utilized in a variety of different ways so it'd be interesting to get that kind of data and and see how they uh deploy him so that's gonna be a fun one to watch let's take this to Tennessee for a second with AJ Brown because he's a guy who I was very high on in the pre-draft process you Mm -hmm. mentioned Nikhil Harry in the Juju Smith role I know Matt Caraccio and myself here we often brought the Juju Smith type stuff up with AJ Brown and he ends up in Tennessee. A lot of people are really obviously down on the landing spot. Marcus Mariota hasn't really developed like people wanted to. They have Corey Davis there who people who own Corey Davis at times have been frustrated in fantasy. What are your, what are some thoughts you have on AJ Brown? And you could even tie it into maybe, you know, 
do you still think there's a breakout for Corey Davis coming? Or do you think this was a sign that Tennessee might think he's a good receiver, but maybe not the guy they thought they were taking when they, when they took him, you know, in the top five, I think it was that year, uh, two years ago. Yeah, he's, he was a fifth overall pick, and I, I don't think you can argue. I, I don't. I don't think it's possible to argue at all that he's played up to that level. I mean, there's also been injuries, which are totally fair. You know, he's one of these guys that I think whenever you're drafting rookie receivers in fantasy, you got to you got to track their off season. I think that's really important because for most of these guys outside of Odell Beckham, you know, if they get injured in training camp and they miss a ton of time, that's really important, especially if you're going to be relied on as a starting outside guy that's going to see 100 targets. You want to be involved in training camp. You want to be involved in mini camps, getting that process rolling, that communication with your established quarterback down early. We know that Corey Davis, of course, missed a lot of that time as a rookie. But And even last year, you know, he, he was fine. But again, he was he's a good player, just hasn't played up to fifth overall pick standards. Um, it's tough in Tennessee, man, because... I want to be excited about this offense based on the skill position talent they have, based on the offensive line talent they have too. You know, they already have an established stud like Taylor Lewin and then they're Taylor Lewan. And then they, um, then they go ahead and get Roger Saffold, who's like the best run blocking guard, uh, perhaps the best run blocking guard in the NFL and was certainly the best run blocker in free agency. I'm very excited about Derrick Henry. Um, I'm very excited about the way the pass catchers kind of come together. They have a really good slot receiver, you know, who's like who's good to be your third, fourth option. And Adam Humphreys, Delaney Walker's coming back. Johnu Smith kind of flashed last year, and then they add AJ Brown, who I, I loved AJ Brown too, man. I mean, I don't know how if you love wide receiver play, you didn't like AJ Brown because he does do a little bit of everything. I think that it's very possible that he just slides into that Juju Smith Schuster role. I also think it's. I think I think it's possible that he's a better player against press than Juju has been at the NFL level or even back when he was in college, simply because I think he's just better in terms of the detail and nuance within his release moves from the line of scrimmage that if you want to see him play outside, I think he can play more outside than I'm comfortable with Juju being an outside receiver. That's not to say he's going to be better than Juju Smith-Schuster. I'm just saying in terms of where you're going to line him up. And with Adam Humphreys being there, I think that's probably pretty important. So they have a good one, two, three there in terms of X receiver Corey Davis, even though he wasn't used as an X receiver necessarily last year, but your X and, and, and then your flanker with AJ Brown that can also play inside. And then your slot receiver in Adam Humphreys. And those guys are all locked up long-term, but I don't know how you could be excited about the quarterback situation at this point. Um, because Mariota has been average to below average at the NFL level. He's also been hurt a ton and then yeah you're getting a stable backup in Ryan Tannehill where there won't be a dramatic drop off to like Blaine freaking Gabbert as there has been in the past but you're not necessarily getting a jump up in terms of quality overall unless Mariota takes an a leap that I, I don't I don't foresee because to me Paul I, I don't know if you agree with this but when I watched the Titans last year early in the year I saw them doing a lot of progressive Things in terms, especially with again how they use Corey Davis to get him off the line of scrimmage to get him moving around the formation, I thought was really interesting. I thought they did a lot of you know L.A. Rams, Sean McVay type things, not quite to that level, but just in terms of where they're lining guys up and deploying them. But the longer that the offense went on, my theory and you know with just total conjecture, no inside information here, I think that Matt Lafleur set back and said, okay, my, my quarterback cannot handle this 
this offense, whether by his play or just the fact that he's never healthy and can't get into a rhythm with it. Let's scale things back and make this all about Derrick Henry, which allowed them to play pretty well to end the season. So I just don't know how after all that you can get excited about this passing offense, which is a shame because I really do like a lot of these skill position players, AJ Brown included. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I Mariota is a guy who every year I feel like I've been waiting for that growth and development, and it just never seems to be happening. And my fear, as you know, for Titans fans out there, is they're they have a really good team. I have a distinct feeling that they're on the Cincinnati Bengals trajectory. That they're building up everything else on their roster, and it's going to be the quarterback, and they're going to be a playoff team, or they're going to be a 9-10 to 10 win, maybe sneaking in 11 here or there. I feel like that's where they're on their way to being consistently, which means they're not going to be in a great position to draft the potential franchise quarterback to replace him. And it's going to be very much like when Andy Dalton was winning 9-10 games consistently for the Bengals. Bengals would make the playoffs, lose in the first round. I kind of feel like that's right now the trajectory of the Titans that they've they have a good team around but unless that quarterback can show some growth and development to take them over the hump they're just going to be that's where they're going to kind of get stuck in that above mm-hmm. mediocrity but not be a legitimate you know threat in the playoffs because their quarterback will kind of hold them back. Uh it, it'd be interesting to see with with all the weapons they have now. I mean this is really you know, it's put up or shut up time for Marcus Mariota. Like you said, they get Delaney Walker back. They go out and get a really good slot wide receiver. They go out and invest in AJ Brown. So I think this is a pretty, this is a make or break year. But even if he doesn't, even if he's just average to above average, where do they, where do they go? Like, I almost feel yeah. like, I almost feel like he's going to get another contract from them unless like it's like really an injury riddled year. You know, if he's like consistent and, and, and just okay, but they win nine, 10 games, I don't see them saying, no, we're not going to give him, you know, an extension or we're not going to keep him around, you know? So it's one of those things that they might get locked into, you know, another four or five year deal with him. But I don't know if, if he's going to get them over the hump. Before we leave that, though, I, I do kind of want to put you on the spot a little bit because I feel like this has been a little bit of a debate in the dynasty industry. You talked about liking AJ Brown. We talked a little bit about Corey Davis. If you were for your own dynasty team, if you had your choice of one of them right now, would you go with the guy who A, has a little bit higher draft capital and we've seen two years in the league? Or would you go with the rookie in AJ and see what happens? Well, I said right after AJ Brown draft was drafted that I would not be surprised if he leads this team in receiving this year only because I think his skill set meshes much better with Marcus Mariota's theoretically than Corey Davis does. Although, however, if I'm thinking two to three years down the road, which is always dangerous to do, which is why <laughs> Dynasty can be such a tough exercise sometimes, I'm still going to take the player that I think has a higher the a very at this point the the theory of it is closing the theory window here with Corey Davis and this theoretical ceiling is go, is closing because I think Davis based on my pre draft evaluation I think pretty much everybody's pre draft evaluation had him as one of those guys that could be a number one alpha type guy like I don't know who your player comparison was for him coming out of school but to me and this this sounds crummy now but at the time <laughs> coming. Um, coming out of the, I think it was 2016 season, going into the 2017 draft, my comparison for Corey Davis was Sammy Watkins. And, you know, that's coming off of like 
2015, which was his best year. 2016, where he was obviously getting hurt, but still looked like that guy. And I don't think he's looked like that guy the last two years for whatever reason. But to me, I think he has that, you know, Sammy Watkins at his best, which was a borderline one, not definitely a number one receiver, maybe not an alpha, but I think that still exists for Corey Davis. And also, as you're talking about the Titans too, and I agree with you, I think if they win nine, 10 games, they could end up, because I don't believe, I will believe it when I see it in terms of a team willingly walking into quarterback wilderness while they're in quarterback purgatory. Um, the problem is I don't think the Titans are even in quarterback purgatory at this point, um, but they might believe themselves to be if they win nine to 10 games, as you're saying. However, if for whatever reason, the bottom falls out and Mariota stinks or gets hurt, whatever, you know, Ryan Tannehill comes in and, and you know, they navigate this ship to about a five and you know, 11, six and 10 type of operation. I think this is a really good spot for a young quarterback to drop into next year or even maybe they decide hey we don't have a lot of team needs and we're going to mortgage the future for a potential franchise quarterback next year to drop into this team even if we still have a Tannehill or or Mariota around on a one-year deal or franchise tag or something like that I think this is a really good spot for a young quarterback to end up and then I think we're talking about all of these guys maybe reaching a higher ceiling than they will here in the 2019 NFL season. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you're right. They don't, and, and I even mentioned it before, they don't have a lot of holes and weaknesses on their team. So if the bottom falls out and even if they only win, you know, even if they win six, seven, eight games and they're in the middle of the first round, I mean, we sort of Rams that year be very bold and aggressive to get all the way up to the top of the draft. It could be something like that where the Titans are like, okay, we got to, we got to get a, we got to get someone with a higher uh, ceiling at the quarterback position who could, take this team to the next level, we're going to mortgage and, and give up a big package to go up and get a Herbert or, you know, a Tua or, or somebody else that emerges uh, next year, potentially in the 2020 draft. So the Titans are going to be a fun one to watch. I loved AJ Brown. He was my number one wide receiver coming out uh, for this draft. And it's been hard to kind of place him for fantasy just because of the uncertainty mm-hmm. with the Titans and Mariota and Corey Davis there and how many targets, uh, but the more I've been talking to people from you to Matt Wallman, I do kind of feel like I'm going to push him back up a little bit towards the top of my rankings because I, I do believe in the talent long term. Uh, let's take this to his teammate because when when at, from college, DK Metcalf, because A.J. Brown, I thought the offense at Ole Miss – put a lot more on AJ Brown's shoulders. And like, you know, if, if someone was charting all the different places, you know, in terms of what they asked of AJ Brown, I think it was a lot different than what they asked of DK Metcalf. And we saw greatness at times in DK Metcalf, but for me, there was a lot of refinement that needed to be done. A lot more development. He goes to Seattle, obviously a lot of targets up for grabs with the retirement of Doug Baldwin what do you make of DK Metcalf and his transition potentially? Because I do think there could be he's he's going to make some splash plays, that's for sure. Especially with Russell Wilson moving around back there and him being able to win, you know, vertically down the field. But I'm not sure I'm, I'm comfortable saying that he's going to develop into that, you know, that alpha type wide receiver, which I think some people thought maybe he had in his skill set when they thought he was going to be a top ten or top fifteen pick. The NFL seemed to think a little bit differently with him, you know, going to the end of the second round, not saying he still can't become that. Obviously, we've seen second round guys for sure do that. Where are you on DK Metcalf and maybe all around? Like, do you see that in his calling card if he can develop more? Yeah, I mean, I think your analysis on AJ Brown and DK Metcalf is perfect because it's that 
with AJ Brown, there's so many different ways you can use him. There's so many different applications that you can uh, give to him in terms of what you want him to do in the offense. Now with DK Metcalf, it's a much more he's a limited application player. You know, there's only so much you can ask him to do. There's only so much of a box you can have him operate in. However, I think that application that you want to have him doing is one of the most valuable in the NFL. I mean, you don't see a lot of receivers with his physicality off the line of scrimmage, especially as a collegiate player. Um, you saw a lot of opportunities for him to go against big-time corners and be very physical with them at the line of scrimmage. There, there are obviously some games, everybody points to the Greedy Williams game, where he really got, I think, taken advantage of by a very good cornerback, a very good prospect. But you know, there's several other times you saw him be very physical with defensive backs off the line of scrimmage. I think there was many times when, I mean, look, he's everybody knows what he can do in terms of being a physical player at the catch point, physical player at the line of scrimmage, and obviously an explosive athlete. But you're not going to have him run every route in the book. That would be foolish. Um, I think the Seahawks do some foolish things sometimes in terms of their overall team construction. But I do think they've done a pretty good job of realizing what their players are good at and then asking them to do that um, throughout the Pete Carroll era. So I think that with DK Metcalf, I think he slides into a position with the Seattle Seahawks where he is paired with a very good quarterback match for his skill set. And to me, coming into the NFL, I was really excited about DK Metcalf because I think his strengths are so strong that he gives you a pretty good floor in terms of what he's going to provide to your team. That being an explosive player, a guy who's going to get vertical, and I think there's always going to be a place for that. However, I thought that if he finds the right team fit, if he finds the right quarterback fit, I think there is a Des Bryant-type ceiling in his range of outcomes because I think this comes back to Des, not so much DK, but Des Bryant, I think people remember him as what he was the last time we saw him, which was a guy that couldn't separate, you know, below the 10th percentile in success rate versus man and press coverage and reception perception in his final year in Dallas and strictly just a jump ball receiver. But think back to 2014, you know, that era of Des Bryant, Des Bryant was a, a great separator, not because he was a great technician or a great route runner or anything, but because he was so, Much a bully in route and at the cap point that I thought he offered a lot of uh, upside there. And I think that DK can do very similar things. So to me, I think that a ceiling does exist in his range of outcomes. And I, I think he's going to end up being a successful NFL player. He's just not going to be everybody's wide receiver, you know, because again, he won't run every route on the route tree. That would be an irresponsible use of him. Yeah, I mean, I think DK is, is very intriguing. I know when I was privileged to be a guest on uh, Christopher Harris's podcast before the draft, we talked a lot about DK Metcalf. And I think his range of outcomes is, is very, very wide. And he, I see a role for him no matter what. It could be he ends up best, you know, worst case scenario, he could be a souped up, bigger, stronger Ted Ginn. And that's what he does. But I, I do think his upside, his ceiling is like, like you just brought up a guy like Des Bryant when Des Bryant was in his prime. So I, I think it's a very wide range. It kind of, I think, depends on a little bit of his development and refinement. He ended up with a great quarterback, you know, so I think that's something that's going to benefit him, especially one who can buy time and move around the pocket, who throws a great, you know, ball vertically down the field. So he's going to be one. 
I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that gets a heavy, heavy target volume. Like there was like 140, 150 targets in a year. Yeah. I don't think that's DK Metcalf. Like, well, in it, Seattle, we know, we know he's not going to get that in Seattle. <laughs> absolutely. Because they, you know, before Russell Wilson retires, I hope we're just privileged. And before he's like a shell of himself, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be nice if, if we ever just get to see Russell Wilson, you know, even remotely resemble what the majority of the other quarterbacks in the NFL get to do in terms of opportunities and targets. I just, I'm not sure we're going to see that before, you know, he's a shell of himself, but two, yeah. two things, two things on that one. I think what's annoying is that we're probably going to see a version of that inside his own division with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Like, I don't know that Kyler Murray's ever going to be as good as Russell Wilson is. That, that was the obvious comparison for him, but I think that we're going to see a coaching staff, I mean, they handpicked the guy, right? They they jettisoned a former top 10 pick because the coach wanted it because that's the ideal fit for his progressive scheme. And, you know, we've seen just the complete opposite in Seattle. So I think that's going to be frustrating for Seahawks fans, for all of us who really love Russell Wilson's game. And on DK Metcalf, I think we're talking about this range where he's he could be Des Bryant at the peak of it, or he could be a souped up version of Ted, Ted Ginn at the low end range of the outcomes there. I think somewhere in between there exists. And I, I have not thought of this player until just now, but I think they're literally in this moment we're we're, we're breaking the <laughs> ground here. Um, Mike Wallace to me makes sense because, and we've seen Mike Wallace have a wide range of success in his own career. Um, but think about when, when Mike Wallace was in Pittsburgh, it was a lot of go routes. It was a lot of crossers. It was a lot of deep posts. I think that's all you're looking at with, uh, DK Metcalf you know you're not going to have him run a lot of nuanced routes again you just want to get him crossing over the middle of the field with that speed or going down the, f- the field with that speed and and that physicality is something that Mike Wallace didn't necessarily have but you know Wallace was never a great route runner but he he fit into his role because of the gifts he had yeah and I mean we're, we're in a transition period over however the last five six seven years in the NFL that teams are looking for specialized roles which is why even I think the the wide receivers the way they come off the board how early how late I think every team is their ranking of these draft classes is so dramatically different than the evaluators and the analysts out there because they're doing it you know the evaluators and the analysts out there are doing it very holistically overall the enti- over the entire draft class and I think the teams are doing a lot of their rankings based on maybe what fits their criteria, their offense, what they already have in place. And I think that's why it's always so such a unique perspective when, when we're looking at the wide receivers. If I transition this to I'm gonna I'm gonna give you four burners, and you don't have to talk about every one of them. You could pick out one or two that the the landing spot most intriguing, the talent most intriguing. But four of the fastest guys in the pre-draft process were who who has have some draft capital attached to them was Paris Campbell, who went to the Colts early. Uh, I think it was either late second or early third round. Uh, obviously, Marquise Brown first round to the Ravens. Uh, Michael Hardman end of the second round to the Chiefs and Andy Isabella end of the second round to the Cardinals. I think those were four of the fastest guys uh, in the evaluation process. We're just going by 40 times. All have you differences in their games. Is there one or two of those guys that have you most intrigued, whether it was their talent when you watch them before the draft or now where they ended up? I don't do dynasty. 
what pays me to do. <laughs> so, but I think that with Marquise Brown, I would probably end up higher than him on most other people who are doing rookie rankings right now because. And, it, and this this comes into not just Marquise Brown, but also the other wide receiver they drafted this year, Miles Boykin, who was a top three wide receiver to me in this class. I, I really, really, really liked Miles Boykin, who also is an explosive downfield player himself. So they have two players out there that I think can threaten down the field. Um, I think the group think right now is, you know, and especially as soon as Marquise Brown was drafted, you know, oh, you know. Baltimore fantasy wasteland for for pass catchers, um, the stone worst landing spot for a receiver, and I get it because of what we saw last year with Lamar Jackson. However, I am willing to because when everybody's going one way, the contrarian in me just desperately wants to think about okay, what? But but that can't possibly just be correct because we just don't always see things happen that way. I want to at least be imaginative in terms of. What else is out there? And for me, the fact that the Ravens used two top 100 picks on wide receivers, that sends a signal to me that they're not necessarily just going to be this team that runs 53, 55% of their plays, you know, back what they were doing when Lamar Jackson started there. I know that the temptation is to say, oh, well, he wasn't just thrown into the offense because he, you know, played in training camp and he had all this time to prepare to become a starter. But that's not the way the league works, man. Like if you are taking reps as the number two, the clear number two quarterback, you know, for a team all off season, all in season, you're not being prepared to start. I don't care what anybody says. Like, you might be your skills might be getting worked on. You know, veterans might be. I don't know that Joe Flacco's out there helping you, but you know, maybe other maybe Robert Griffin III has given Lamar Jackson some tips in training camp. Maybe some of the veteran receivers are helping him work on his timing, whatever. But the coaching staff is preparing to win games, and this team was preparing. There was no quarterback competition. You know, this wasn't like Josh Allen in Buffalo who was being given a chance to win the starting job over Nathan Peterman or AJ McCarron or whatever was going on there last year. You know, this was, he was a number two quarterback, you know, maybe even number three at different times of the off season. So I think that they had to put together an offense on the fly for him. And I don't think that he was necessarily prepared to walk in there and be a full field number one quarterback. So look, it would be disingenuous to say that Lamar Jackson doesn't have a passing problem coming out of his first year. I don't think you can watch the games, look at the data, whatever, and and not think that there are, there are some obvious holes here, but I think there are at least clear defined strengths. And I think he's a good over the middle passer. I think Paul, you know, you watch him a ton in college. And to me, that was who he was coming out as well. A guy who could work the middle of the field well, but wasn't necessarily going to do the intermediate stuff deep or the intermediate stuff outside the numbers. I think he can throw an okay deep ball, but so to me, I'm I'm willing to be open to this Ravens passing game being more than what we saw last year and maybe dramatically more because I thought Marquise Brown was the clear best wide receiver in this draft class. You know, I know that the size concerns are real, but best route runner in the class to me, I, I think, you know, I got a chance to to meet with him before the draft and sit down and talk to him about route running. And I mean, it was just so impressed with him. I'm doing a podcast right now called rookie orientation uh, and where I get to sit down and, and kind of tell the story of these prospects. And one part of the story I think that gets left out with Marquise Brown is that he's Antonio Brown's cousin. And 
there, you know, we talk about these, I talk about this on the rookie orientation podcast, so go subscribe and listen to it there. But I mean, you know, we talk about bloodlines as if it's some sort of mythical advantage and obviously genetics matter, but I think what matters more is, Hey, and, uh, Marquise Brown has had access to probably the best route runner in the NFL over the last five years. I, I would say that's Antonio Brown and he has intimate access to this guy. He gets to learn all of these things. And I think that showed up in Brown's game in Oklahoma because I thought he was an advanced route runner. And Oh, by the way, he's also, he'll probably be the fastest player on the field every time he suits up on Sunday. So to me, I think there is a lot more upside, a lot more appeal in Marquise Brown's outlook in Baltimore that people aren't giving enough credit to. So, I mean, it's easy to say he was the first wide receiver drafted this year, so it's easy to get excited about him from that regard. But I'm a lot more excited about the Baltimore passing offense, I think, than most people are. And it comes back to the fact that Marquise Brown, I think, is a transcendent type player. So yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about Marquise Brown. And then the other guy that, that, that I would highlight that you mentioned is McCole Hardman. And I think there's two things worth just yeah, enough credit for his ceiling this year because I thought Hard- I don't know what your evaluation was on McCole Hardman, but I thought he was a little underrated as a prospect. Um, but I didn't, you know, but then the chiefs come out and they don't really make him an under under drafted player. They take him with premium equity. And I think it's going to be key for Hardman to, I know they're going to use him in gadget type ways, much like they use Tyree kill before Tyree kill really developed. But, you know, going back to Tyree kills reception perception is rookie season. You could see in his success rate versus coverage scores that he could run routes that he could do more than just be a gadget player. And that's what I'm going to be watching with Hardman. Um, the, the, the closer we get like into his rookie season, can he also, so maybe heading into 2020, maybe he's a guy that as he shows that he can do the gadget stuff, but also can run routes. Then he's a guy who could fully break out because the one thing that's worth talking about here, and it's not a fun subject to talk about because of what Tyree kill, what he's done at this point, And, just the the cloud that is consistently hanging over him. But look, we might see Tyreek Hill play this year. You know, I think that at this point, there's a pretty good chance that we do, um, that he might even be involved in training camp at some point. Like, I think that's a reality that we have to start accepting. Uh, and again, it's not fun to talk. It's not fun to, to think about. It's not, not, not great at all, but I think that's a possibility. And, and that's going to make Hardman less of a featured player in year one. And maybe more of a he he could play number two to Tyree Kill if Sammy Watkins is you know kind of a flop again or gets hurt because that's always possible. Um, but I think there's a, a real possibility that maybe we're talking about him being more of a player in 2020 than in 2019. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of things there you said. I, I just want to circle back on first. I'm right there with you in terms of giving the Baltimore passing offense you know an opportunity. Spot on about Lamar Jackson, a guy who could push the ball vertically down the field, but between the numbers was much more accurate in the short to intermediate game. And basically the entire field in between the hash marks at the college level is where he was successful. You saw on college film outside the numbers was areas that were concerning, especially in the intermediate to vertical parts of the field. But now they've given him some legitimate weapons. I mean, you go back and look at, you know, I, I'm right there with you. And I know you were a fan of, and, and I like John Brown a lot too. And he mm-hmm. kind of, John Brown's stats fell off the cliff the second half of the year. And again, I don't think Lamar Jackson was really ready to to take the reins and they needed to win football games. And what they were doing with the running was, was working 
I expect to see a totally different Ravens offense when September rolls around. So I'm willing to give Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have to become a, a good passer. If he becomes an average passer with his athleticism and running ability, it could be a totally different offense. And Marquise Brown, he was my number two wide receiver right after A.J. Brown uh, in, in my pre-draft analysis. And it's it's almost unfortunate that it happened to be that reception perception for the rookies uh, was not something you were able to do this year, because I think it might've hopefully helped in any way, shape or form, at least in the fantasy community, change the narrative a little bit that I think Marquise Brown was getting a rep of, he was just a vertical receiver and wasn't a expanded route runner and a good route runner. I think yeah. people were pigeonholing him a little bit as he's feaster famine. He's Deshaun Jackson. And I, 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 on Saturday, Sunday constantly said, I think, I think that's, I personally didn't think that was a good comp because hmm. I think it was underselling just how good of a route runner he was. And I think people were, were really pigeonholing on his size and just thought he was going to be a guy who can win vertically down the field. And that was the end of his overall skill set. And I think that was far from the truth, but people just really, didn't hear that because I felt like people constantly just talked about his speed and his vertical threat and not talked about how refined of a route runner he was and how good he was at the route at many different routes. So I, I think that was a little light. So I think he's a much more talented all around player than people are giving him credit for. And Nicole Harmon, and then I'll let you chime back in. Nicole Harmon was a guy that I did think was un, uh, was being undersold pre-draft. He was number nine. He wasn't, you know, I saw him occasionally in some people's top tens, but I thought he was a guy that I didn't hold his statistics against him because I did think that that Georgia passing offense just kind of spread him out amongst a, go- a lot of guys. But when given an opportunity, I saw a guy that I thought ran good routes and the separation quickness was almost elite level in terms of getting in and out of breaks at some times. And then his ability after the catch that mm-hmm. I thought he was probably going to be a mid third round pick. So maybe the chiefs took him a little bit earlier than I expected, but I actually think now, cause I'm right there with you. I do think we're going to see Tyree kill in training camp and he probably is going to play this year, whether it's a, a six game suspension, maybe looming. Uh, I do think for people who have late rookie drafts, like I know I'm in four drafts that don't even start till late July and August. I do think right now, Nicole Harmon's value is going to start dipping and dipping and dipping. And he might be present great value if he starts getting pushed in a mid second round or late second round, because I think he, his value was pushed up because of the Tyree kill and stuff and maybe playing that role. But even if Tyree kill comes back this year, he's, I mean, prior to last year, I think they were talking about, or during the season, they were talking about, you know, a contract extension, are we sure the Chiefs are going to potentially – the Chiefs might let it roll out this year with him and, and get what they get, but I don't, I'm don't. i not sold that they're going to lock him into some mega contract with all the baggage that's that's there with that, that who knows, Nicole Harmon, like you said, a year or two away, we don't know if Tyreek Hill's you – know, we think he might play this year, but even if he plays this year and, and that's the end of a suspension, it might not be that Chiefs want to invest long-term in him anyway. Yeah, I, I look before all this news, we were talking. I mean, the Chiefs were publicly talking about making him the highest paid receiver in the game. Yeah, and now I don't think you're going to see that. Um, no matter what, I think the Chiefs have to kind of take a little bit of a look in the mirror and be like, you know, who are we as an organization that this continues to be an issue? Um, but on the field, 
if they have Tyreek Hill and then they have McCole Hardman and then they have Sammy Watkins and then they have Travis Kelsey, who I think Travis Kelsey showed great communication with Patrick Mahomes. And oh, by the way, we have Patrick Mahomes, who even if he statistically regresses in 20, 2019 from what he was in 2018, I don't think we talk about enough that he could be a better actual quarterback like Paul, there are so many times you watch Patrick Mahomes in, in 2018 and you're enthralled by the entire experience, but it's, and it's crazy that we're already doing this with him. And this is just shows you just what, I mean, I called him quarterback God all last year and I don't, <laughs> I don't feel bad about saying it because he's that special that you can nitpick play by play and be like, Oh man, you know, this was a situation where he rifled the ball downfield it was an incompletion i mean it looked like a great incompletion but it was an incompletion where he could have ran for seven eight yards you know aaron Rodgers, i think is really good about that like taking those easy layup runs um and and i thought that mahomes left some of those opportunities on the field so you can go play by play and like nitpick patrick mahomes for small things so there's a chance that he statistically regresses as a passer which i think we all expect just from a pure production standpoint but is an actual better player in which again that's great because he was already great last year and i i i mean the the range of outcomes for patrick mahomes i think is wild and you can really have a lot of fun talking about it and you know that's just good news for guys like hardman who um like you said i think is a is a good route runner and is a good separator in addition to the deep threat ability so yeah i'm really i'm excited about hardman you know no matter what happens with tyree kill this year i'm i'm excited about his future going forward because yeah it would be tough for me to imagine they give Tyreek Hill a big contract extension I imagine him being on the field for them this year because look that's just the way the NFL works and I don't like it and nobody should like it but it is it's just the reality of the situation and going back to Baltimore again and again I would encourage people to to listen literally listen to him say this on his rookie orientation episode but I will go ahead and repeat it here but the most the the best thing that Marquis said to me during our conversation was, you know, he says, I see people out there, like you were saying, I see people out there saying that I'm just a fast guy. And, I, and he's like, I'm, how? I'm not even running full speed out there, which it just goes to show you there's a lot more to se- separating and route running than just speed. And Marquis definitely has that. He is a guy who is a really detailed technician. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I wish I was able to really chart out all the routes and kind of show some of that because that's definitely there. And if people are saying he's just a speed receiver, you know, as Marquis says, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're watching the games or I don't think they're very good at watching the games. No. And, and it's easy to put on a highlight reel of Marquise Brown. And most of the highlight highlight reel is probably him catching 50 to 70 yard bombs. And that's what people I think just put in the back of their mind that that's who he is. And it's part of his game for sure. And it's a fun part, but there, there's a lot more to it. If you, if you really study him closer, I think people would have seen that. And yeah, Patrick Mahomes, I think this. I think there's a lot of room for. It's crazy to say, but and like you said, the production might not match it. But I think there's a lot of room for him to still grow and develop, like in terms of just reading defenses and reading coverages and getting you know more acclimated with things that are going to be thrown at him and stuff like that. Like he's still learning the game. He's only he's only played 17 you know regular season games or whatever it is that won that previous year and then last year. So there's a lot I think he still could improve upon, which is kind of scary for the rest of the NFL. So let's take this to one final rookie, and we're going to use that as our uh, 
transition to talking about some 2018 rookies entering now their second year at the wide receiver position. I know you've studied a lot of them. And that's Debo Samuel, who ended up in San Francisco. They invested a high second round uh, pick on him. And a lot of people uh, seem to have some concerns. I like Debo Samuel a lot as a prospect. He was my number five pre-draft. I like the landing spot. I do. I understand some people saying that they think him and uh, Dante Pettis are a little bit similar. I I don't see that as a bad thing. I think that's where the NFL is kind of trending towards guys who can play inside outside versatility. So, so what do you think about Debo in San Francisco and maybe just use that to now talk about his teammate, second year wide receiver Pettis. Yeah. Table the Pettis talk for a second, but I think that, that, these two guys, you have to study them together because I think, just as you're saying, the NFL is showing us that they they value versatility, but the 49ers are definitely showing us that they value versatility in their wide receivers because Dante Pettis was a guy in last year's class. John Lynch said it on NFL Network. We value this guy because of the versatility that he offers, the fact that he can line up at X, line up at flanker, play the slot. And I think Debo Samuel, I don't think you want him playing X receiver, but he can play, I think, a little bit of flanker outside. Uh, my co-host of the uh, Fantasy Football Podcast, Liz Loza, says he looks like a little fire hydrant out there, but he can certainly play on the outside. Uh, Jalen Hurd, obviously, is a versatile player. You know, used to be a, a, a talented running back and now is like this bulldozer <laughs> running back playing out of the slot for Baylor. Um, so there's versatility in this wide receiver core. Um, Marquise Goodwin, a guy who can play flanker, can play a little bit of X receiver. Obviously, George Kittle offers versatility as a tight end. The, the backfield is is overflush when they're all healthy, which is never, but overflush uh, with options in terms of versatile players. So the 49ers are certainly in the wide receiver room and beyond showing us that they value versatility. Debo Samuel, I know there's a, a big discussion between him and Dante Pettis, you know, who's going to be the guy this year. To me, I think it's clearly Pettis after looking at him as a rookie um, because, you know, he was someone that I didn't know. Like his reception perception in 20 in the 2018 rookie group wasn't great, but I think a lot of those games he might have been hurt um, or or whatever because as a rookie, I thought he really impressed me. You know, the first couple of games I looked at when he wasn't playing routine snaps, wasn't running a lot of routes, I'm like, oh, this isn't great. <laughs> this isn't looking so good. But then when he got really involved in the offense in the second half of the season, great results. Um, and I think the thing that's most notable is – that he was playing an X receiver type role for this team. You know, yeah, again, he is a guy that can line up all over the field is a guy who can play in the slot. He's a guy who can play. um, He's a guy who can play that flanker position and move all over the field, but he really was a natural separator as an X receiver. He saw press coverage on 34.9% of his charted routes. Um, That's, a lot for for a top end receiver so i'm really impressed i'm really impressed with pettis coming out of his rookie season uh he's a guy based on reception perception that i want to place a chip on in this passing game yeah i mean pettis is a guy that anytime i watched san francisco games last year and going back and watching a little bit of his rookie year on film also he's such a talented player like really good route runner can win in a variety of ways so i think him and debo are going to be fine i think they'll complement each other i think they're they're two guys that shanahan will have a plan for and between those two and george kittle i think it just gives them more options but i think dante pettis is a guy who probably can be bought a little bit on the low side in terms of the, the fantasy world because I'm not sure people are giving him 
uh, the credit he deserves and are, I think, are a little down on him because of the Debo pick. And I think some people are getting more excited about Debo. And I'm excited about Debo, but I'm mm-hmm. also excited about Pettis because I do think there's there's a there's room for both of them, I think, to have a role and be impactful. And Pettis is a year ahead than him, so I would expect him to lead the team this year in production. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how they develop. If they, if they kind of do develop into more specific roles or they continue to be interchangeable and do a lot of different things, you know, at times we've seen the Vikings, you know, Thielen and Diggs seem to, at times, you know, one game this guy plays a lot more in the slot. This game it could be somebody else. They seem to 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 use those guys in a variety of ways. I could see something in San Francisco uh, with Pettis and Samuel doing that as well. Even though, like I agree with you, I don't think Debo is a guy who's going to be that traditional X type guy. So let's take this to a guy who, even after his rookie year, I still don't think he's getting the credit he deserves. And that's Calvin Ridley. He was a guy mm-hmm. that me and Matt here at Saturday Sunday, we had to like scream from the top of the hill last year <laughs> to people not to overreact to the combine where everybody, so many people that we talked to and, and, and just people on Twitter were, were jumping off ship and didn't want to keep him at the top of the rankings. And we tried to talk people down and be like, he is really special player. Don't over, don't, you know, don't over, you know, rank that, that combine, you know, a, a few things in the combine. And then he has this great year, rookie year, very impactful player. And there's still people that don't seem to want to be all in on Calvin Ridley. And I think it's just because Julio Jones is there. And I get that. But to me, it just means that for the next couple of years, Calvin really is not going to be the center of defensive you know, team's attention. He's going to see a lot less double teams than he would, and he's going to take advantage of it. And I think there's room for him to grow now. And then I think the sky's the limit, you know, as Julio Jones eventually maybe gets to the back part of his career. Yeah, I think the reason that people are down, like maybe not as excited as they should be about Calvin Ridley is because a lot of what he did in terms of like his touchdowns per target is unsustainable and that regression is coming in that area. And I agree. It's probably not sustainable in terms of what he did in like scoring touchdowns on the limited around limited amount of targets and routes that he ran last year. However, I think he's way too good for that to matter. Uh, and that's what it comes down to for me is that I think it would be look and, do we the assumption of rational coaching? Our our uncle Sigmund Bloom always uh, likes to talk about this. Um, but it would be categorically irresponsible for the Falcons not to make Calvin Ridley the clear second fiddle, the 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 you know high end two to Julio Jones's clear number one, because Ridley is just so good. And and let's take it all the way back to the draft class last year. There was plenty to debate in the 2017 rookie group. Um, one thing that I don't think anybody could debate, and if you did, you were trying too hard, is that Calvin Ridley was the best, easily most best pro-ready route runner of that group. And that directly translated into his rookie season. His rookie season. He is an elite-level craftsman already. Uh, his 76.2% success rate versus man coverage and reception perception, you know, that falls at the 93rd percentile. Um, he's not, as you mentioned, he's not the center of defensive attention. Um, Julio Jones is going to see most of the press coverage when you're looking at 11 personnel. Um, it, only 23% of his routes did Calvin Ridley see uh, press coverage, which is a little bit on the lower end for an outside receiver. But still, 78.6% success rate versus press coverage as a 90th percentile score. I mean, this 
guy is <laughs> he's a great separator and he's always open and playing in that role opposite Julio Jones is just such a perfect fit. I think these guys are already a top five wide receiver duo. Ridley's that good. And again, to me, it comes back to, yes, he will not score X amount of, you know, this percentage of his, his targets will go for touchdowns. However, if he's not seeing a hundred, 110 type targets in the Falcons offense, the Falcons are doing it wrong. And look, the Falcons might do it wrong, but I think Ridley's so good that I agree with you. I'm, it's really hard not to be just crazy optimistic on him based on just how good how good he was, Paul, and how easy it is to see he's good. Like, that's that's the thing. I, I know that, look, it's, it's the film does lie. The film is not all that matters. But we, anybody can watch Calvin Ridley and be like, yeah, that guy's really freaking good. And to me, I think that that matters uh, when we're talking about football players. Yeah, and I, and I think you would have said those same things when people watched him in college. And I feel like in at times we overanalyze things, and people were trying to talk about breakout age and then the athletic testing. And and I, and I remember Matt and I just saying, just watch him. He's special yeah. when you just watch him on the field. Some guys you just got to put all that other stuff away and just use your eyes and watch this guy. And when you watch him, you just see this talent level, and you just see this easy separation, this easy of getting in and out of breaks and then he goes to the Falcons and people hone in so much I think sometimes on they want it to be the guy and they want the best opportunity you know well I'd put him in Atlanta last year you know I'd rather him be be in Atlanta and be the second fiddle to you know Julio Jones than if he would have ended up like say last year in in Buffalo where you know a lot of people didn't have any idea how Josh Allen might transition to the NFL or something like that. It's like, we've seen teams. I mean, the Vikings, I mentioned a few minutes ago, like those wide receivers are just okay. Having two of them there. Like, you know, it's not like one, you know, can't be successful because of the other one. And yeah, sure. He's not going to see 140 or 150 targets. That's not in the possible outcomes for Calvin Ridley right now, provided Julio Jones stays healthy. But at the same time, to me right now, he's he has the potential to be a top 24 wide receiver. So low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. But the upside to continue to go higher and higher as he gets more and more years into his career and, you know, probably an inverse relationship of Julio's success and, and, and Calvin is probably going to go. As Julio goes down, you'll probably start to see, you know, production-wise, you know, Calvin's in, – in, increase and i just think people still aren't giving him the credit he'd be a buy 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 in any league that i can get my hands on if somebody's excited about any rookie in this year's draft class i'd probably trade any rookie maybe not the 101 because I, I like josh jacobs a lot but any other rookie pick in this year's draft and i'd even consider the 1.01 to get calvin ridley right now it wouldn't even be a question for me so so yeah, I, I'm all I'm right there with you. Let's take this to the the other wide receiver who went in round one last year, and that's DJ Moore. And I know we're talking second year wide receivers here, but let's also use this as an opportunity to talk about DJ Moore's teammate Curtis Samuel, who while he's entering his third year, didn't really do much and play much in his rookie year due to injury. Let's talk about both of them together. What did reception perception kind of show? Because I'm excited for both of these guys, and I think Curtis Samuel's flying under the radar. Oh, I totally agree. And I'm going to do what I can to make sure he doesn't fly under the radar for much longer. So uh, get used to it, people who like to shush me on Twitter. You're just going to have to deal with it because uh, it's happening and will only happen more as the season comes closer. And I'm glad that we're going to break the second year rule here to talk about Curtis Samuel because I think you got to talk about these guys 
in unison. But let's start with DJ Moore. And I think that for people who buy the ultimate draft kit with the fantasy footballers where reception perception is housed once again this year, you go receptionperception.com. There's a link to buy it there. If you buy them and then you're looking at the wide receiver profile page, you'll see the blurb for Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore back to back and you'll see their route charts there. And you will see a lot of red on DJ Moore's success rate by route chart. And you'll look at his teammate, Curtis Samuel, and you'll see a lot of green. Um, the immediate temptation will be to say, DJ Moore, not good. Curtis Samuel, very good. One of those things is true, uh, which is Curtis Samuel is very good. But talking on DJ Moore for a second, I do not think it is possible to watch the Carolina Panthers in 2018 and not come away thinking, wow, Curtis Samuel is by far, by a gap's worth of distance, the best route runner, the best separator on this team. That's not it's, – it's impossible – to watch the Panthers and not come away with that opinion. Um, DJ Moore scored below the 10th percentile in success rate versus man and press coverage last year. But that doesn't mean that it, it is that he's a bad player because once again, this was a guy who was productive in his role last year. This is a guy who's productive in, in college at a, at a young age in a bad passing offense. And, you know, Carolina wasn't a great passing offense for all of last year, but DJ Moore was productive in the role given to him. And I expect him to be productive once again this year, because to me, he, he just is a perfect comparison to golden Tate in terms of his, his player strengths. And those showed up last year in reception perception. He was solid against in beating uh zone coverage. Great at finding holes in the middle of the field. I think he's advanced in that area. I think he's ad- objectively advanced as a run after catch player, p- perhaps to advance to the point that he might be the best run after catch player in the league already. Um, that was he, that was true in his reception perception data. He broke twenty six or in, on his in space attempts. You know, chances he gets to break tackles in the open field. He broke multiple tackles on almost twenty seven percent of his his plays there. That's more than any player charted in 2018. He's also pretty good at the catch point too, 80% contested catch conversion rate. So no, he is not a good, he's not, he's, it's not even that he's not great. He's not a good separator versus press and man coverage right now. But I think if the Panthers are smart, which people know my history with the Panthers, I don't always know that they're smart, but if they're smart, I think there are clear applications for DJ Moore. And we've talked about the Vikings receivers several times in this podcast so far. I think if you use DJ Moore in the way that the Vikings use Adam Thielen, I think he'll find a lot of success. So there, there's a lot for, and you should be excited about DJ Moore. Everybody should be excited about DJ Moore. But show has now. Let's continue on this Vikings example because I think I don't I don't think it's a hot take to say that right now Curtis Samuel shows flashes of early career Stefan Diggs, and we know the player that Diggs has become. Am I saying that Curtis Samuel is going to become that player? Maybe not. But, you know, back when Stefan Diggs started to first break on the scene and what you could tell with him was natural separator, really good route runner. I don't think it's possible to watch Curtis Samuel in 2018 and not come away with that opinion. He was, and which is stunning based on how we all evaluated him coming into the NFL. You know, is this perhaps people were saying, and I probably said it too, so I'm not I'm not throwing stones here from my glass house. But you know, like wow, is Curtis Samuel a little redundant with Christian McCaffrey because both these guys played a little bit of running, both these guys you know played out of the backfield, but you know also are pass catching guys. Uh, yeah, Curtis Samuel is a, is a route runner, man. I mean, you're talking about success rate versus man coverage. 
Um, that was at the 94th percentile, 76% success rate. I mean, that is unbelievable based on what we would have expected from him. Good release moves off the line of scrimmage. I think he, you know, he is an outside receiver. He has the route running ability to be that alpha if he does continue on that Stefan Diggs line. And the thing that I think was most surprising in his reception perception results, because you can watch Samuel and, and see him run routes and get separation. I, I like go back. If you want to know who Curtis Samuel is, go back and watch him against the Falcons because you will see a player just, you know, dog walk a pretty good cornerback in Desmond Trufant. And I think the thing that's surprising most about Curtis Samuel, and you see it a bit in that game too, it was how good he was at the catch point. You know, he, he saw a contested catch attempt on 35.2% of his sample targets and reception perception and maintained a 73.7% conversion rate. Um, there are, you know, that's something that was surprising about him. So, I'm look, I'm really, really excited about Curtis Samuel. I'm really excited about both of these players. But if you're talking about which one of these guys I think that shows more alpha outside receiver potential, it's Curtis Samuel to me right now, and it's not even close. Yeah, I mean, and it's such a fascinating comment because it was just not something that I think anybody thought was in his repertoire when he was coming out based on what Ohio State asked him to do. You know, and listen <laughs> – in my neck of the woods up here in New York, like Dave Gettleman takes a lot, is taking a lot of heat and some of it very justified when you trade a, a generational talent like Odell, you make a questionable quarterback decision. But one thing that he doesn't get enough credit for is he's a pretty good draft college evaluator. He might have sort, you know, you know, they took Curtis Samuel and, you know, he's developing into a guy who could become a very impactful receiver, you know, and, it's one of those things that at the time people probably questioned that pick that Gettleman made when he brought, you know, Samuel there, especially in the second round after they had taken, you know, Christian McCaffrey in the first round. But he saw, he probably saw more than maybe the regular analyst type soar. You know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but, you know, I do think he is his draft background, I think has been something that is pretty successful, you know, in terms of his track record, in terms of drafting the Panthers and even early results with some of the giant stuff uh, in terms of just draft evaluation, I think goes under the radar a little bit. And maybe he saw a little bit more to meets the eye with Curtis Samuel than, than most, because I think we're starting to see that. And that's kind of exciting to, to watch that unfold now. Hey, here's what I'll say about Dave Gettleman. Um, and let's exclude the quarterback position from this conversation because, you know, I don't know how any of us feel about Daniel Jones, but uh, let's put that aside for a second because I think Dave Gettleman knows talent. I think Dave Gettleman knows football players. Like I said, like you said, I think he's a good scout, um, but Dave Gettleman should not be building a team. <laughs> the period. Uh, I, I think he, he made major mistakes in Carolina. Um, you know, in we all know about how he doesn't trade down and, and how crazy of a thing that is to do. But I thought you also saw him double down on things too often because I'm, I'm going to choose not to give him credit for Curtis Samuel. I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose to say um, he, I think he did in a way double down there with, okay, we need to become more of a speed based team, you know, guys with more athleticism. So we're going to take Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel back to back. And really that was to correct a double down mistake that he had made previously in his tenure as GM, which is, Oh, cam misses high. So let me get these giant tall wide receivers. 
second one in open venture back seasons. But again, that only had to happen. So that, that, so that was correcting that mistake, which was already uh, a big, a big problem. So I think that was a problem with Gettleman Carolina, but yeah, I agree with you. I think he knows, I think he knows talent. I think he can scout football players. It just should not be building a team, you know, at all. Yeah, I, I think the GM component of it is not his strong suit. I think he'd be more of like a guy maybe who just is in charge of scouting and evaluation or like a college player personnel guy. Uh, his relationships with veteran players is now nah, two yeah. locations, yeah. two locations now. So, you know, I think he sold, you know, uh, the Maras a little bit. Uh, of oh I'm gonna learn and evolve and adapt in in my second spot and that really hasn't uh, came to the forefront of anything it's been potentially worse in New York than even at times in Carolina most of the Carolina guys were at least on the backside of their career he's he somehow managed to come to New York and not get along with <laughs> guys in their prime who are all yeah. pros like Odell and and Landon and, and stuff like that but we 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 digress there back to wide receivers real quick. Another pair of teammates, Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton. I know you were a big Deshaun Hamilton fan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I thought you liked him when he was coming out. Cortland Sutton obviously had more pizzazz. I had some questions about him. I think some of those questions materialized a little bit at times last year in terms of drops, in terms of route running. What do you think about them? What did reception perception show about those two guys? Yeah, big fan of Deshaun Hamilton and remain so to this day. Uh, so I, I look, I really like Deshaun Hamilton. I think that he's a player who will fit both quarterbacks that are that are currently in Denver. I think we're going to see Flacco start the year. We'll see how long that lasts, but based on whether it's injury and or performance. Um, so that's one to watch. But yeah, dude, huge, huge Deshaun Hamilton fan. So I think he's a guy that I'm really excited about this year. But Corlin Sutton's interesting because I think you can take him multiple different directions right now. And I think you're you're being a little too too uh too generous there. And that I think that those questions that people like you or myself had about him coming into the NFL, those absolutely manifested at the NFL level. I, I we look, he was fine. He was a fine starter as a rookie, but he was not prepared. And to be fair, he was not prepared for the role he was thrust into, which I didn't know if he was ever going to be prepared to be a number one type of receiver, but when Demarius Thomas went down, people got way too excited about him. And that was only when he was getting thrust into a number two receiver role. Then Emmanuel Sanders gets hurt, and then he's thrust into that number one role, and he was definitely not ready for that. Um, in reception perception, he finished below the 25th percentile in success rate versus, uh, in success rate versus man coverage, and then below the 12th percentile in success rate versus press coverage. Those are just not strengths right now. He is not good enough as a route runner to be a number one alpha receiver. That that's gonna be that's gonna be problem that's gonna be problematic if that continues and if it continues then you're looking at a Devonte Parker type player who long posted similar success rate metrics and reception perception and we know has never reached his potential. Um, maybe Cortland Sutton takes a big step forward as a sophomore, but I think there are questions that you've got to ask about him. And right now, I think that Deshaun Hamilton is clearly the better route runner, and I think he will earn his quarterbacks favor quickly. I'm not saying that he's going to be the more productive fantasy receiver this year, but I think he's certainly right now. I just feel better about him heading into year two than I do Cortland Sutton based on what the two will be asked to do, which are again, admittedly very different roles. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think Deshaun, Deshaun Hamilton is a guy who I would not be surprised if he leads that team in targets and yards. Maybe Corlin Sutton because of the touchdown potential. Maybe that's an area where he scores more fantasy points. But I, I think Deshaun Hamilton's game translates. And, you know, people think of Joe Flacco from early on in his career being a, very much a push the ball vertically down the field. And he still has it in his repertoire, but I also, you know, remember him being very successful with a guy like, uh, Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Oh, Derek Mason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the later latter part of Steve Smith's career who mm-hmm. did a lot of stuff, not vertically down the field as well. I could see Deshaun Hamilton having a lot of success with what Joe Flacco does now at the back part of Flacco's career. Now, if Drew Locke gets, for us into the role who's more of a, a risk taker, I think to push the ball vertically down the field with his big arm, you know, then maybe Cortland Sutton, you know, fits a little bit more in terms of, in terms of Drew Locke, but that's something that I think we're going to kind of play it out. But I'm more excited to see Deshaun Hamilton in year two than Cortland Sutton. But I will, yeah, I think I was probably being a little bit generous because he was coming from a smaller, you know, college, didn't go up against a lot of top level competition. So I do think the learning curve, uh, you know, is a little bit, you know, for those guys. And even Corey Davis, we could have said the same thing about when we were talking about yep. him earlier. You know, I, I do think we've seen people be immediately successful from smaller levels of school, but I think we have to sometimes hold off a little bit and not be so quick to assume that because I, I know that's, you know, an area that I struggle with sometimes, you know, when I watch, you know, college guys here for Saturday, Sunday is when you watch these guys against, you know, guys who unfortunately aren't going to be NFL players, they're going to be teachers and lawyers and doctors, you know, and, and, and other, any other job that, you know, besides pro football player at times, it's hard sometimes because Corlin Sutton, you know, his ability to win in college was he was just faster and more athletic and could dominate without being a, a really crafty and refined rat runner. And then you get to the NFL and that's not that's not going to work. And, you know, reception perception, it sounds like for year one kind of showed some of those manifesting. So it's going to be interesting to see if he takes that second step. Uh, I'm a little bit of a wait and see approach in that. So two final guys, because we could do another hour just on, on the, the 2018 guys. But I, wa- I want to hear your take on, on two guys, and then I'll, I'll open it up if there's this one guy that surprised you, you know, when you did reception perception. But I do definitely want to hear your thoughts on Christian Kirk in Arizona. And if you, if you envision a scenario where his role, I think his usage is definitely going to change a little bit, but his role based on, uh, you know, what he did last year could change. And then – James Washington, because he James Washington was a guy that I was really high on last year, and Matt and I here were a little bit, I think, out on an island for how high we had him. He was he was right there after Calvin Ridley for us. We had him ahead of DJ Moore. We had him at, ahead of Cortland Sutton, and and we felt like we were a little bit out on an island on the James Washington love. Obviously, we didn't get to see him too much, so there probably wasn't a lot of data to go off of. So yeah. whether it's off of what you've seen about him or reception perception or maybe what you envision this year from him. So start with James Washington because he yeah he's a guy I haven't gotten to chart yet. I want to go back. He wasn't in the original fantasy footballers top fifty that I'm contracted to chart before the ultimate draft kit goes out. But Deshaun Hamilton, James Washington, these are guys I want to look at before the start of the season, and and those will get updated in the draft kit as well. So if you purchase it now, receptionperception.com, you can go ahead and. Uh, You'll you'll see them get added before kickoff, before you know drafts start in August, um, when we're talking about fantasy. Then, but just 
as you said, what I knew about James Washington coming into the NFL, you know, it's important to remember two things. One, he was a guy who only lined up on one side of the field in college. And we've seen those players struggle when they get to the NFL level, whether it's like, just think about our big, like our biggest busts of the last few years, you know, Josh Doxton, Laquan Treadwell. You can take it back to Kevin White. You can take it back to Doriel Green Beckham uh, in that 2015 class. Those are players that only lined up on one side of the field and had that limited application. So again, maybe that makes you ask questions about DK Metcalf. But James Washington was in that group of players in that in that 2017 class. So it's not surprising that he wasn't up to snuff as a rookie. Um, however, he again, he was a player I was really excited about coming to the NFL because I thought he had a clear trump card trait, which was not just his deep game ability, but his ability to win in tight spaces as a deep route player, adjusting to the ball. He was the best in the class last year to that to that for me. And you saw that in preseason, at least. I, I remember seeing that crop up plenty of times in, in the preseason and occasionally during the actual games as a rookie. So I haven't given up on James Washington yet. And the reason, the main reason is that this Steelers offense needs an outside threat to step up. I I like Juju for sure. It's impossible not to. He's one of the most likable players in the NFL uh, just as a personality, but also he's tough as hell. Um, I, I really just, he's fun to watch. Is He's not a great separator versus press man coverage, but it doesn't really matter based on how he's used and where he lines up. And if that is going to continue, I don't know that you, you, I don't know that you can run an offense these days just through a big slot receiver. I think you have to have some sort of outside vertical presence and, like losing Antonio Brown is just such a massive loss for an offense because he was one of the true few difference makers in terms of dictating coverage and just with how he was able to separate as a route runner. James Washington's not going to be that player. He certainly need that player to step up and Washington. I think they would love it to be Washington. So We'll see. He, he, I think he's going to be a, a hugely consequential player for the Steelers offense in 2019, whether it does happen or not. Um, now, the other player you asked about, Christian Kirk, very, very, very excited about Christian Kirk. I don't know where you stand with him in terms of the rest of the guys that got drafted. I think he's a clearly superior prospect. Just without what we saw as a rookie, I thought he's a clearly superior prospect to both Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella. I really liked Kirk last year. You know, I remember asking him, I got to meet him before the draft. He came by the NFL network back when I still worked there. Um, and, you know, I, I remember sitting down and asking him, I'm like, Hey man, you played in the slot, you know, a ton as a, as a college prospect. Uh, can you play outside? Is that, if you're asked to do that as a rookie, is that something that you're going to be able to do? And he's, you know, of course, no question. Yeah, I, I can play outside. I can run these routes. Well, I know how to release versus this coverage. Uh, and I'll, you know, he's, a hell of a worker. So, I mean, and here's credit to him. He was right. He was right because he went out there and played mostly as an outside receiver, um, played at the slot a little bit. Sure. But was mostly an outside receiver as a rookie. And he was the diamond in the rough in that rough, rough, rough Arizona Cardinals offense uh, in 2018. So based on reception perception too, you can look at the routes that he's most successful on. It's the dig route. It's the curl route. It's the slant route. I think you're going to see him pile up production, whether it's on the inside, whether it's on the outside, on those routes in this air raid offense. So he's a player I love drafting in best ball leagues right now. He's a player that I would be targeting, you know, no matter what format that you play in. I think he is, 
I, I'm willing to place a chip on him as the guy who leads the Cardinals in receiving uh, this year. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Christian Kirk last year. I, I think he might have been number three or number four on my on my evaluations at the wide receiver position. Uh, after uh, we talked about, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, earlier we talked. Oh, I mentioned James Washington was my number two. Obviously, Calvin Ridley was my number one. Christian Kirk was right there. I don't know if I had him for DJ Moore for or vice versa. But Kirk was a guy that I think even exceeded my expectations. Like you were talking about with his ability to show even more versatility than I maybe thought he had in his game. So that to me has me even more excited about Christian Kirk. Now you had Kyler Murray. Now you had the air raid offense. You know, historically, you know, the, the, the numbers have been out there on Twitter over the last couple, over the last month or two. The slot guys in the air raid offense that Cliff Kingsbury's running tend to historically put up the best stats in that. We'll see at the NFL level if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what his role is. Do they, I think they'll probably use him both inside and outside, but it's exciting for for what opportunity he's going to get moving forward. And then just cycling back to James Washington for one second. Yeah, I, I think there's a big opportunity for him this year. And I had Matt Williamson on probably a month ago now, and he does a lot of stuff with the Steelers on a regular basis. And he said they're really excited about James Washington, hmm. that they were really excited about him last year at times and then just never materialized once the season started. But they're, they have soured on him at all if anything you know they're just as excited if not more excited this offseason so it leads me to believe that he's going to get every opportunity this year to become an impactful player and you know we'll see we'll find out you know if he can do that but you talked about his ability to win at the catch point vertically I mean that was his clear calling card at college uh and I think at times he showed some of it last year uh, in the limited sample size. So it's going to be exciting to kind of see him play. Was there one other wide receiver to end the night? Anybody else, any other rookie from last year that you did do reception perception that surprised you? Or we did we hit on just about everyone from last year's rookie class? Yeah, two guys I did to, to just to talk about here real quickly. The first one is Kiki Cutie, um, who or however you say his name, I don't know. Uh, Kiki Cutie, whatever. We'll go with that. Uh, he's so fascinating to talk about because how he was used as a rookie was just it was clear they had like a utilization plan for him, right? You know, very limited downfield work, short average depth of target. You know, piled up production in that role, but. I think if he's healthy, there's a lot more here. You know, less than 15% of his routes were a nine or a post route last year. He just wasn't running a lot of downfield vertical routes, but he was very good on nine in terms of success rates and reception perception. Good on ver- those vertical routes. Also good on the curl route. Um, I think if he's playing in slot as, inside as a slot receiver, that's gr- a great fit for him because I think he's more of a natural separator versus zone. Yeah, just interesting. They have two vertical threats in Qte and uh, and um, Will Fuller, of course, and, and of course they complement a great number one receiver, a true alpha in DeAndre Hopkins. So he's one to watch. Um, I'm just curious as to how they're going to use him. Is it going to be more that vertical way, or is it going to be continued to be a you know kind of a bunny layup reception type of player? And then the other one who I'm really excited about is Anthony Miller in Chicago. Um, Anthony Miller was exactly the type of player. Uh, that you would expect him to be. If you watched him in college, I think he was that player 
as a rookie. Um, and if people are interested in this, I've been, I was doing some breakdowns on my Instagram page, the same as my Twitter, Matt Harmon underscore BYB. There's a section on my stories for wide receiver film clips. And I was doing a little bit of breakdown on both Anthony Miller and Christian Kirk. And in the Miller one, you know, I made the point that he was Doug Baldwin to me as a, a college prospect. And there are just so many instances when you watch him as a rookie that that's who he was. Um, and I think the biggest reason is that not only is he a, uh, a good route runner, good separator as a slot receiver, but he's not, he's not that bunny route type guy. He's not a, just a short average depth of target player. He has the ability to get open deep. And you see that in reception perception, uh, his success rate versus man coverage falls at the 85th percentile. I think if Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller both hit their theoretical ceilings as individual players, you're looking at the Bears as like a surprise top 10 type of wide receiver duo. I think they both have that potential. Of course, the question for them, like the Bears offense right now, Paul, is so difficult because I like Allen Robinson. I like Anthony Miller. I like Taylor Gabriel for what he is. I like both. I like their running backs. Um, I I like uh, Trey Burton as a contributing guy. Sure. Why not? But is the quarterback good? Like how, how, how good more, more, more apt. How good is the quarterback? Cause we could sit here and try to splice up targets between all these guys, especially the, the number one and number two receiver, which I think is Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. We could try to splice up production between these guys, but it's not going to matter as much as it could. If the quarterback doesn't take another step as a player this year, which I think is possible. I wouldn't totally rule it out, but yeah, I'm very excited about Anthony Miller uh, in this, this coming season. Yeah, I mean, you just you just laid it out perfectly. Miller's a guy, you know, the production he had last year with the injuries he had as a rookie, I think speaks volumes on what type of player this guy could be. And then Kiki Kuti, I know you, you brought up Uncle Bloom before. He's been <laughs> singing that praise uh, since before yes. last, you know, since before even his rookie season, you know, and, and even now there's a lot of people, I know the guys over at Fantasy Pros are, are big fans of him as well. He's a guy who, when given the opportunity, was was able to, put up production, especially in PPR type leagues. Uh, and then just to round it out with the bears right there, it kind of goes full circle of what we were talking about before. Uh, while I think there's more of an opportunity still for Mitchell Trubisky to take that leap. And I expected more from him than a guy like Marcus Mariota. You kind of look at, I look at those two teams very similarly in, I think they have a good defense, good pieces around it, good receivers, good running backs, you know, strong offensive lines and, the success on both of those teams is what type of growth and development can the quarterback perform to take that team to the next level. And for the Bears, I mean, they got pretty far already. So it's can he go, can he show a little bit more uh, of that mentality to be able to take over a game? and carry them to a Super Bowl. And, you know, and then obviously Tennessee, it's can Mariota at least expand to be a above average to good starter to maybe get them into the playoffs more consistently. But I see a lot of similarities between those two teams. So, Matt, this was amazing. So much fun talking with you again on the 2019 wide receivers and then bringing up all these 2018 wide receivers as they enter their second season i know you mentioned a couple different things tonight please repeat them all where people (laughs) can find your work reception perception what you guys got going on over at yahoo uh all that stuff anything else you want to let the audience know 
Yeah, you know I'm always here to hawk a product or two. Uh, And yeah, right now, of course, if people want to check out some of this wide receiver information we've been breaking down tonight, uh, the best place to do it is, of course, in the Ultimate Draft Kit with the fantasy footballers. You can get access to it if you just go to receptionperception.com. There will be a link there to buy the Ultimate Draft Kit. Do it there. Um, and you'll be able to get access to all of this information in terms of success rate versus coverages, route running data for fifty over 50 NFL receivers right now. And as I mentioned, only more will be added the closer we get to week one. And the other thing, of course, yeah, if you're interested in rookie receivers, um, we've got an episode right now of rookie orientation up uh, on Marquise Brown. Other players we've broken down, some, some fantasy relevant. You've also got defensive players like Nick Bosa. Um, We are talking – this is a different type of podcast than anything else you're going to get out there in sports right now. You know, it's not what we've been doing tonight, you know, two guys going back and forth. It's really telling the story of these players, Um, not just – but I'm not saying, like, who they are off the field, but, like, really constructing their skill set, their evaluation in more of a storytelling type format, more of like a little docu-series each individual episode on, on these guys. So check it out. Uh, you can find Rookie Orientation wherever you get podcasts. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you are checking out those podcasts. Get over to Reception Perception, Body Ultimate, uh, Draft Kit, and get all that great analysis as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.